0: If you'd like to, if you have your Bibles there with you, if you don't, should be one in the pew, you may turn to Genesis chapter 39. Last two uh, services we had, we were in the book of Genesis chapter 37. And we skipped chapter 38 for several different reasons. Chapter 38 is about uh, a man by the name of Judah, which was a brother of Joseph. And it's all about a time in his life in which he uh, made some decisions that really brought a lot of destruction to his life. and it seemed like it's disconnected to the rest, but it's really not. And I may say something about that tonight before it's over with and we may go back to chapter 38 a little later time. But let's go to chapter 39 tonight and it opens up exactly how chapter 37 ends. Chapter 37 ended with Joseph being sold to the Ishmaelites who took him down to Egypt and there he was sold on the Potiphar. Potiphar is an officer, or was an officer, to Pharaoh. And uh, if you have a center reference in your Bible, uh, as I have, it will tell you there that Potiphar was the chief executioner. So that tells us something about the man. He he was the chief executioner in the uh, courts there of Pharaoh. So first one says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian brought brought him with the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. Now, we notice he was brought down to Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world we live in. It's a picture of bondage. It's a picture of darkness. It's a picture of idolatry. It's a picture of superstition. I mean, all those things took place in the land of Egypt, a very ungodly nation. Um, in total contrast to the land of Canaan, and we find where Joseph is going to go from the land of Canaan down to Egypt. Now, Joseph's brethren, who were Jewish, of course, are the Israelites, as this nation is in the process of formation, we find where they delivered him unto Gentiles. The Egyptians were Gentiles, of course. When you look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find where his brother, that is, the Jewish people that he was born into, in the end will deliver him unto the Gentiles. They will deliver him unto the Roman authorities. So we see a picture and a type here. Um, we've been looking at how Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the opening verses of chapter 39 is filled with typology. Typology is simply the study of types. You have to be real careful about that. I've heard some people, uh, some men get really carried away and make all kind of statements they really couldn't back up. There's an old saying, you know, he that spiritualizes, he that spiritualizes, without spiritual will tell spiritual lies. So we're not wanting to tell any spiritual lies here tonight. So, But uh, it is proper to spiritualize if you've got a basis for doing so. So we see he's brought down to Egypt. Now, Egypt, once again, is a place where the Bible warns us about. If you look in Isaiah chapter 30, the first two or three verses, Isaiah chapter 31, the first couple of verses, you'll find where we're warned about Egypt. We're warned not to go down to Egypt. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. Notice, for help. Now, Joseph is not going down to Egypt of his own accord. He's going to be brought down to Egypt against his will. But nevertheless, he goes down to Egypt. He says, woe to them who go down to Egypt, that trust in horses and chariots. That's what Egypt was known for. Their armies, their horses, and their chariots, some of the finest, greatest, uh, you might say, uh, that's ever been known in the history of man, especially in that particular day and age. Very impressive. Uh, if you go to Genesis chapter 12, you will find where Abraham... After being called out of the land of the Ur- the Chaldees and went down to the land of Canaan, a famine came. And where did Abraham go? Abraham went down to Egypt. Why did he go down to Egypt? He went down to Egypt for help. He didn't need Egypt's help. Yes, there was a famine, but God can take care of you in a famine just like He can take care of you in any other time, any other way. So there was a famine, and so He went down to Egypt for help. And except that the God of heaven had providentially watched over him and his wife Sarah, it would have ended in total disaster down there. But God overruled and brought him out of there. And you'll notice when he comes out of Egypt, he says he come up out of Egypt. So when people went to Egypt, they always went down. When they left Egypt, they always went up. And that holds true all the way through the Bible. And for what they represent, it holds true in life. When you go down into this world here, when you go to the world, you go down. You always go down. You lose when you go into this world. But when you're blessed to be delivered from this world, you will be brought up. So that was the case with Abraham. So Joseph is brought down into Egypt. He sold unto Potiphar an officer in Pharaoh's court, a chief executioner. We look in verse 2 and we find a very important phrase in this chapter. And the Lord was with Joseph. We will find that recorded four times in this chapter. Now, when you read something like that, what does it mean to you? Does it mean that God actually came down from heaven and took on human form and walked along side by side, you know, with Joseph? And it doesn't mean that. But it does mean what it says. It says that God was with Joseph. Joseph. Now, I believe God has been with me many, many times. I trust He's with me on a daily basis. And each of us should pray that God would be our companion, that God would be with us. That means we truly believe that God can put in the minds and hearts of people around us uh, to bring us into favor with them and to bless us. And God can put it in our mind, in our heart. God can impress upon our heart and soul to do certain things, to be in certain places, And we can look back and see if God had not done that, it could have ended in disaster. If God hadn't done that, our very life might have been taken. But God is with Joseph. They sell him down there. They abandon him. They desert him. They sell him. He sold for a profit. But the Lord hasn't abandoned him. The Lord hasn't deserted him. The Lord is with him. Remember, it's going to be used four times in this chapter. And he was a prosperous man. Now, that's an interesting statement. When Joseph was sold to the Ishmaelites, he didn't even have his uh, coat of many colors anymore. He didn't have anything. But now, he's down there in the household of Potiphar, and the Bible says he's a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, let's take a look at that expression here. Uh, Here's the second time it's used. The master saw it. See, when the Lord is with you, other people should see it. You should be living in such a manner and way that people can see that the Lord is with you. You can go to the 22nd chapter of Genesis and read about Abraham and you'll find where the Bible says God was with Abraham and there were those that he was dealing with of other nations. It says, we can see that God is with you. Find the same thing with Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Those that he was dealing with in that land, when he was beginning to dig the wells, they said, we we can tell that God is with you. And Jacob, same way. Now, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of course, was Joseph's father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. Now, how would you like to be able to tell people that? Let me tell you a little bit about my family. Some people don't really want to tell you about the family. But Joseph wouldn't have any trouble saying, I want to tell you something about my family. Jacob was my father. And Isaac was my grandfather. And Abraham's my great-grandfather. Oh, my goodness. You look back at a, you know, family history like that. And so the Lord was with him. Now, the one example I certainly would want us to bring to, bring to your attention is found in Acts 10 and 38 where it says here that God anointed Jesus, His Son, anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Let me pause here. The three things that God anointed Jesus with, His Son, here are two of them, Holy Ghost and power. You'll read in Hebrews chapter 1 where He anointed Him with the oil of gladness above His fellows. That's the third thing. He anointed Jesus with power, with the Holy Ghost, and with the oil of gladness above His fellow. Now, priests and kings were anointed with literal oil, but Jesus Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness above His fellow, and with power in the Holy Ghost. And it says, He delivered those that was oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. Now we're talking about God being with Jesus, the Son of God. You say, well, why would God have to be with Jesus? Wasn't Jesus God? Yes, God. Jesus was God. He was the Son of God. He was also the Son of Man. And here we're told that God, His Father, was with Him. So what a blessing it is to feel like that God is your companion. What a blessing it is to feel that God is with you. What a blessing it is to be able to look in the lives of other people, and you can see that God is with them. And people should be able to see that God is with you, and God is with me. Our life should reflect that. Abraham's did, Isaac's did, and Jacob's did. And here we're told that God was with Joseph. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. Now, I wonder what it was about Joseph that caused the master, his Potiphar right now, to say, you know, I believe God is with this boy. And he didn't even know about the true and living God of Israel. But he knew there was something out there the ordinary, something was unusual about this. His master saw the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made him, made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, right now we find where Joseph is a servant, isn't he? He's a servant. That will remind us of who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 42, 1, he says, Behold my servant whom I uphold and might elect in whom my soul delighteth. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ in prophecy. Behold my servant. I'm sure Potiphar had many servants, but I can assure you he never had a servant like Joseph. Here is was a man who feared God. Here was a man who was one of God's children. He was a man of integrity. When you study the life of Joseph, you come away with that for sure. He was a man that was responsible. He was a truthful man. He was an honest man. He'd never had a servant like Joseph. And there never been a servant in this world like Jesus. You go to Philippians chapter two, verse five, it says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not be equal to God, but made himself with no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? Of a servant. This was somewhat of a stumbling block to the Jewish people. They were looking for a king, and Jesus was king. He was Lord of oh the Lord and King of kings. How can a king be a servant? How can a servant be a king? Apart from Christ, you can't. A servant is not a king. And a king is not a servant, except in Jesus. In Jesus, he was a king. In Jesus, he was a servant. And there's never been a servant like the Lord Jesus Christ. I can assure you that. Now, Joseph is a servant down in the land of Egypt in the household of Potiphar. God is with him. His master Potiphar can see that God is with him. Something out of the ordinary, something unusual. God is with this boy here. Now we find where Joseph has left the land of Canaan and gone down into Egypt. We find the Lord Jesus Christ left a place called heaven and came down to this world right here. This world in Egypt being just like each other. And Joseph, uh, well, in verse 3 again, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now we're told in verse 2, he was a prosperous man. The Lord made all things to prosper in his hand. Who do you give credit for? Your prosperity. Your prosperity of health. Your prosperity of wealth. Whatever it may be, who do you give credit for? (laughs) You think, well, I've just done all this on my own. Well, the Lord has blessed you to have a talent, blessed you to have a gift, whatever it may be, and you've been able to provide for yourself and your family, and perhaps beyond that, but who are you going to give glory to for that? Well, the Bible here says that God made Joseph to prosper. Does that remind you of anything? It should remind you of the 10th verse of Isaiah chapter 53, where it says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Then it says... He shall see the travail of his soul and something's going to prosper in his hand. (laughs) The Lord made his son's work to prosper in his hand. There's never been a more prosperous person to live in this world than Jesus. Everything he did was successful. He never failed. He never come up short. He always succeeded. He was always victorious. Every miracle that he ever a purpose to do, he did. Jesus never tried to do anything. i try tried to do a lot of things. Sometimes I succeed, sometimes I don't. Jesus never tried to do anything. He just did it. To say that Jesus tried to do something, to me, would indicate he might not have done it. I don't find where the scripture ever says Jesus tried to do anything. Jesus just simply purpose to do it, and he did it. He opened every, every eye of every blind man, he purposed to open. He opened every ear of every deaf man, he purposed to open. He enabled every lame man to walk that he purposed for him to walk. He healed every uh, man with leprosy that he intended to heal. He raised every person from the dead he intended to raise. He never failed in one thing. Isaiah 42, 4 says, He shall not fail, neither shall become discouraged. The Lord Jesus Christ, the most prosperous person to ever live. And let's look at John chapter 10. When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd of the sheep, I know my sheep, they hear my voice, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's pretty good prosperity, it sounds like to me there. How about you? I know my sheep, they hear my voice, they follow me, I give unto them eternal life, they shall never perish, and no man can pluck them out of my hand. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand, for I am the Father of one. You can't get more prosperous than that (laughs) Joseph found grace in his sight kind of reminds me of what it says about Noah You know, it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord Joseph found grace in the eyes of Potiphar when Jesus Christ was 12 years of age we know in Luke chapter 2 how he got left behind one day and took his parents Joseph and Mary three days to locate him etc but all I want out of that is how it ends how that chapter ends and said the Lord Jesus Christ, he's 12 years of age, found favor and wisdom and statue before men and God. Three things, wisdom, favor, and statue. And the word favor oftentimes is synonymous with grace. He found those three things in the sight of men, found those three things in the sight of God, in the sight of his Father. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over all of his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Now that reminds me of Hebrews chapter 1, the opening verses. But God, who had sundry times in divers manner, spake in time past, and fathers by the prophets, hath in his last days spoken by his Son, whom he made the heir of all things. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Joseph found grace in the eyes of Potiphar. He put all things in his hand. He came to pass in the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. That the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. Now that's a wonderful principle, isn't it? That's a thread that runs all the way through the Bible. You know, growing up on the farm, we, uh, you know, we put out a lot of fertilizer. And a lot of the fertilizer, uh, when you open up the bag, it had a string, had it tied, you know? Whether it was a paper uh, bag or whether it was uh, made out of, a, you know, um, whatever it was. It wasn't paper, but anyway. <laughs> you, know, you, you would get that bag open by getting it started, and then what would happen? You'd pull the string, it'd just un- undo all the way to the end if you had an experience with that. Well, I'm telling you, this is a thread that runs all the way through the Bible right here. All the way through the Bible. In Genesis chapter 30, you'll find where Laban tells Jacob, he says, I've learned my experience that I've been blessed for your sake. He learned that his experience taught him he was better off after spending time with Jacob than he was before Jacob ever came on the scene. My experience I have learned, I've been blessed for your sake. I've been blessed for the sake of other people, I have no doubt about it. I hope I'm being blessed for your sakes. (laughs) I hope that uh, I'm blessed for my wife's sake, my family's sake. I believe I'm being blessed for the sake of my departed mother who's gone on to be with the Lord in glory. My father, I know they prayed for me when I didn't even know anything about prayer. I know they prayed for me growing up. They prayed for me when you know I didn't have enough sense to pray. (laughs) I know they prayed for me and God watched over me and delivered me and blessed me for their sake. It's a thread that runs all the way through the Bible. Go to the last verse of Ephesians chapter 4 and here the apostle exhorts the church at Ephesus. He said, and be ye tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why has God forgiven you? Why has God forgiven me? It's for Christ's sake. Aren't you glad of that? That's why you're forgiven. Not because you're so great and so good. It's for Christ's sake. Our blessings is for Christ's sake, you see. So this statement here, when it says he blessed the Egyptian's house, the Egyptian's house is being blessed. It's not because Potiphar is a God-fearing man, I can tell you that. He is blessed for Joseph's sake. Now he does recognize that God is with him. He does recognize that. But I don't know if he ever recognized he was being blessed for the sake of that servant that was in his house by the name of Joseph that he bought from some Ishmaelites. He had no idea when he bought Joseph and Ishmaelites what he was in for. (laughs) How how rich this experience was going to be. Verse 6, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. That's exactly what God did with his son. He put all things into his hand. And he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. Everything he had except the bread he ate was in the hand of Joseph. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Now, you need to always separate the position from the person. So what is Joseph's position right here? Joseph's position that he's a bond slave in the household of Potiphar, who's a chief officer, chief executioner, in Pharaoh's court. He, one time, he was in the land of Canaan. One time, he wore a coat of many colors. One time, he was a son of his father's old age, whom the father loved more than all the rest. That's what he had at one time. Where is he at now? He's down in the land of Egypt. He's lost his freedom. He's a servant. Now, Potiphar has given him a great deal of liberty, no question about that, but he's still accountable to Potiphar, correct? But the Bible now tells us something about his person. He was a goodly man. You know, sometimes I've used the word goodlier and people look at me strange, but it's in the Bible, I guarantee you. (laughs) It's in the Bible. No matter how great I, I usually say, no matter how great I try to tell you God is, he's greater than that. I just don't have the ability to, to show you his greatness like I'd like to. And no matter how good I tell you God is, He's just goodlier than that. <laughs> I wish I could really tell you how goodly, goodlier He is. <laughs> it says here concerning His person that He was a goodly person and well favored. Here's His person. We look at His position, but here's His person. The Lord Jesus Christ, when He was born in this world, He left heaven like Joseph left Canaan. He came down this world like Joseph went down into Egypt. But God honored his son from the time he was conceived to the time he received him back into glory. He sent an angel out to the shepherds watching their flocks at nighttime outside of Bethlehem. He sent an east star to get the attention of wise men who came and brought gifts to his son. He sent a man, a unique man, a John the Baptist that pointed him out as the Lamb of God. He sent him as one who said, He that cometh after me is greater than I am. I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose the latches of his shoes. He caused a man to cry out on the cross who was a Roman soldier, a centurion. Surely this was a righteous man. Some unusual individuals, weren't they? Shepherds, wise men, John the Baptist, little children who came crying, Hosanna, bless he that cometh in the name of the Lord. This centurion soldier there said, "Surely this was a righteous man when he noticed all the supernatural things that was going on, when the sun refused to shine, when there was darkness from twelve to three, when the earth the rocks rent, the temple's, you know, was rent in half from top to bottom. Normally, you rent it in half if you're gonna to try to tear it from bottom to top, but not in this case. It's from top to bottom. No man." There was not a man strong enough in this world or a group of men that could tear that veil, that temple from top to bottom. But God did. Yes, let's separate the, the position from the person. So we see the position, Joseph him, but here's the person that Joseph is. You see the position that Christ took. But then you see the person of Christ. It's important that you do that. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me. Now, we're going to get into the temptation of Joseph here. It's going to point us to the temptation of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ with the similarities and a contrast. We find this woman here, the wife of Potiphar, has adulterous eyes. And she's going to, she's casting them upon Joseph, who we're told right here is a goodly Person and well favored. It means Joseph was a handsome young man. And he was a young man. He's barely past the age of 20 at this point. She sees him. Potiphar is not around. She has an evil design upon this man. She has no morals at all. She wants to enter into an adulterous relationship with Joseph. It came to pass after these sayings that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, lie with me, but he refused. And said unto his master's wife, behold, my master what is not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. Joseph said, my master's been good to me. He's put everything in my hand and you don't belong to me. You belong to him. You just don't take another man's wife. There is none greater in this house than I, Joseph says. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now let's think about, it. where's Jacob? He's nowhere around. He's back in the land of Canaan. All of his brothers are back in the land of Canaan. He has no family. He has no friends. Who's going to see? God is. <laughs> God sees. God sees everything. The little story of the man, his uh, son, walking down the street, and he decided he wanted to go into the bar before he we went to the bar. He looked that way and he looked that way, and now he's about ready to go in. And a little boy tugged on his coat and said, You didn't look up. You didn't look up. Those eyes see everything, they see it all. And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day, this wasn't a one time thing it's a daily thing. Does Satan get on your case on a daily basis? (laughs) Or does he just show up every once in a while? Show up once a month? Once a week? Or every day? I believe he shows up every day. (laughs) Uh, He's a constant adversary, isn't he? She's a constant adversary to him, right? The temptation every single day. And he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house that were therein. And she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hands and fled and got him out. That's exactly what he needed to do. The apostle Paul tells the young minister Timothy twice in 1 Timothy to flee some things. In 1 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee youthful lust. So a man needs to flee. In chapter 6, he tells him to flee the desire to be wealthy and to be rich. In other words, it's not wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to be rich, but it's wrong to want to be wealthy and to be rich for the wrong reasons. You enter into covetousness. And sometimes into practices, it's not, you know on the up and up, et cetera, et cetera, because your desire to be something that you don't have to be is greater sometimes in your integrity, but not so in Joseph. Joseph flees the scene, but he leaves his garment behind him. This is the second time that Joseph has had a garment taken from him. Remember the first time, it's a coat of many colors that his brother took off of him. And now he flees, and she grabs his garment, and as he flees, he leaves the garment in her hand. Now, if you notice, there were three specific times... That Joseph, that's recording that Joseph was tempted. Let's move over here to Matthew chapter 4 to a time in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right after Jesus was baptized, I think that's very significant. You know, when you're baptized, that's a wonderful day, that's a wonderful time, that's a wonderful experience. I remember mine quite well, just like it happened yesterday, just about. On a cold February morning out on a, about a three acre pond, little town of Andrew, North Carolina, wind blowing just enough to keep it from icing over. I remember so well. And went into that water, me, my brother, two preachers, and a, and a sister had joined uh, another primitive Baptist church being baptized with us. And, and the water was just icy cold, but it didn't bother me. It, it really didn't. I didn't even hardly notice it. And then I was baptized and waited patiently for the other two to be baptized. And then I come out of the water and got in a car to go somewhere to change clothes and then all of a sudden I realized, hey, I'm cold. That's the first time I realized that I was cold. Wonderful experience. And Jesus baptized in Matthew 3. But in Matthew 4, who comes on the scene immediately? The devil does. And in the temptation that Christ faced right here, he was faced with three different temptations just like Joseph was tempted three separate individual times. We find that Jesus was not tempted of his brethren, the Jewish people. He was tempted of Satan. And we find that Joseph was not tempted by his brethren. He's tempted by an Egyptian, by the wife of Potiphar. We have a type there. Christ first of all is tempted. gone forty days without anything to eat. And the devil said, Thou be the Son of God, cast these stones into bread. He quotes in Deuteronomy He says, It's written, Man shall live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He takes them to the pinnacle of the temple. There's the very highest point of the temple. and says, cast thyself down, for it is written, he shall send forth his angels, they shall lift thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus quotes back from Deuteronomy. and says, I shall not tempt the Lord thy God. He then go, takes them to a high mountain, shows them all the kingdoms of the world, it says, now if you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. I have the power to do so. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy the third time, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He was tempted three times. Joseph is tempted three times, right here. Joseph was victorious. Now I said, I might say a little something about chapter 38. I'm going to just say this and moving on. You'll find immediately preceding the victory that Joseph had over temptation here, you find his brother Judah, who sold him, by the way, for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites in the previous chapter, fell miserably. And there was a man one time named Adam in the Garden of Eden that failed miserably, but the one he was a type of, the Lord Jesus Christ, did not fail. He was successful and he was victorious. Now, here's one contrast. Jesus did not flee. (laughs) Satan fled. See, Joseph fled, which is what he's supposed to do. But in the case of the temptation of Christ, it wasn't Jesus that fled away from Satan. We find Satan fleeing away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And God sent an angel down there and ministered unto his son. And Satan departed from him for a season. For a season. That simply meant meant that Satan wasn't gone forever. He was going to make a turn and come back. You know, if you've ever been rabbit hunting, you know when you jump a rabbit, the best place to see the rabbit, and get a shot at the rabbit, is just stay right where the rabbit jumped. Because that rabbit's going to take a circle and he's going to come back. He'll always come back to where the dogs jumped him. And the devil, I'm going to tell you, he's worse than a rabbit. (laughs) The devil's going to come right back. (laughs) He may depart for a while, a season, but you can count on this, he's coming back. Verse thirteen. It came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fed, fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake them, saying, "See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in and lied with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he heard that I lift up my voice and cried, they left his garment with me and fled and got him out. Of course, she's lying. She's lying, and she laid up his garment by her until the Lord her his Lord came home, who is Potiphar. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came into me to mock me. And it came to pass, I lifted my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. In other words, Joseph has a false witness against him. You read in Matthew chapter twenty-six where the Jewish people sought false witnesses against the Lord Jesus Christ and couldn't find any to begin with. And those that come for whatever reason didn't work out. And then finally it says there were two false witnesses that came against Jesus. And they said, He has said He would destroy this temple in three days, raise it again. Well, He did say that. But He wasn't talking about the literal temple. He was talking about His body. He would lay his body down. He would destroy that temple in three days. He would raise up again. And exactly what he did. That she was a false witness against Joseph and Jesus had false witnesses against him. Now we notice here it says that Potiphar was very angry. Let's get the exact wording. It says his wrath was kindled. But notice what he does not say. He doesn't say who his wrath was kindled against. Now, I'm going to do a little reading between the lines. I don't think this is the first time this has ever happened. I'm confident this woman has made one advance after another with many of the servants he's had in his household in times past, and he comes home, and here it is again. You say, well, why why would you say that, Brother Lawrence? Remember, he's the chief executioner. He could have had Joseph slain. He could have took Joseph's life. I believe if he really believed what she's saying was true... I believe he would have slain Joseph. But he didn't. He put him in prison. And there was a time that the Lord Jesus Christ stood before a person powerful in authority. His name was Pilate. And Pilate examined him and said, I found no fault with this man. Pilate didn't believe the accusers. He knew those guys. He was well acquainted with them. He didn't believe them. He examined him. He said, I found no fault in this man. But both Potiphar and Pilate, for sake of appearance, perhaps political reasons, make a decision against Joseph and Jesus. Potiphar is going to put him in prison where the king's prisoners are held. That will be very important down the road. And we're going to find where Pilate is going to scourge the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to release Barabbas and he's going to crucify the Son of God. Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison the third time. But the Lord was with Joseph. <laughs> i tell you, what, when you're in a household ruled by Potiphar, you want the Lord to be with you. <laughs> when you're in prison with the king's prisoners, you want the Lord to be with you. You ever been somewhere and, and you were greatly afraid? You ever been somewhere and you just uh, was was confused? You ever been somewhere when you just felt like I, I don't know what to do? But you prayed and you could feel the Lord with you. You could feel His arms circle around you and pull you up close to you. And what it meant at that moment, and maybe you didn't know how it was going to work out. You didn't know how things were going to be uh, solved or whatever. But you just knew if God was going to be with you, everything was going to be all right. I remember 1979. I stood before a congregation, Little Union Primitive Baptist Church in Lithia, Florida. They called me as pastor. I lived over 600 miles from there. Uh, it had been five months since they called me, and I'd been praying about it and trying to search my heart as what, if this was what the Lord wanted me to do or not. And uh, I went down the whole of the July annual meeting. And as I was sitting on the pew, I felt like the Lord just gave me a peace of mind. That I should accept the call and got up in the pulpit and before preaching that morning. I let them know that I made the decision to accept the call. Oh, everybody was happy. Everybody was about ready to shout. Uh, everybody but Karen, I think. But anyway, <laughs> she, uh, she knew what lay ahead. 600 miles away from family. 600 miles away from her her roots. And mine too, as far as that's concerned. But I remember quite well when I was in a car going down to his brother's house where we were staying. I remember how Satan jumped on top of me and how Satan said, do you know what you've just done? I mean, I I hear those words right now. Do you know what you've just done? You've just accepted a church to pastor over 600 miles from where you live. You gotta go home and tell mother and daddy. You gotta go home and tell brother and family. You gotta go home and tell the church you're currently serving that you're gonna step aside you got to sell a house. you got to find a place to live. All them questions flooded my mind. And I'm telling you, that moment right there, I'm thinking, what have I done? And then the Lord just came. I could feel his presence. And the Lord told me, if you've just done what I've instructed you to do, everything's going to be okay. And that calmed my nerves. Everything was fine. And everything was okay. Sold my house immediately. Managed to have enough courage to tell people back home what I'd done, one thing and another. But I remember that experience so well, just like it happened yesterday. I needed the Lord with me. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand. all the prisoners, now notice this. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, just like he did with Potiphar. And the keeper of the prison committed in Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. He now is in charge of the prison. He was in charge of Potiphar's house. He's now in charge of the prison. How how can those things happen? (laughs) You see the miraculous hand of God's providence in these matters? I got Brother Ty, Brother uh, Ryan, and Brother Dylan a couple nights ago, and I said, Do you know what the expression of providence of God means? They was all a little hesitating in answering. I <laughs> said, I said, what does the word providence mean? Just take what's the first part of the word providence? It's provide. It's the act of providing. God can providentially provide for you from what you stand in need of? Would well, it be food on the table, clothes on your back, roof over your head? Job, wife, children? We believe in a, if we didn't believe a God of providence, why would we pray? Why are we praying if we don't believe that God can take care of us and provide for us, you see? And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him the fourth time. And what that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. The Lord made everything he did to prosper when he was in the household of Potiphar. He made everything to prosper when he was in the prison where the king's prisoners were kept. Highlights of this chapter four different times. The scripture says the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord said God brought Joseph into favor with the keeper of the prison. God gave Joseph the strength and the ability to resist the temptation. He was victorious over all of that. I'm sure that Joseph is, you know, you got to, Joseph was human. (laughs) So, you know, he had human thoughts, human emotions, human feelings. When he's going through all of that, he probably thought, I don't see how things can get worse than this. If you've ever been there, I can tell you, whatever you were talking about, it can get worse than that. (laughs) Okay, it can get worse than that. But you may think that way. But I tell you something I believe Joseph was thinking about. It doesn't say it here, but I believe he was thinking about it. I think he was still thinking about them two dreams where God gave him that said that the, that the interpretation of them was the time was coming and when his brethren and his family and all others would bow down to him. He didn't know how that would happen, but he knew God said it would happen, and he believed God. Study chapter 40 for our next lesson in a couple of weeks.